Good morning. I remarked to Megan early this morning that I feel a bit like the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. It's been a little while and I might be rusty. <laughs> Oil can, please. So we continue our series this morning on the ECC touchstones of welcome, transformation, and presence. And in case you haven't heard or don't remember what uh, a touchstone is, a touchstone, now I'm getting behind myself already, there you go, a touchstone is a finely grained black stone against which you scratch precious metals to see if they're authentic. So if I wanted to buy gold, something I've never done in my entire life, but if I wanted to buy gold, I would take an authentic piece of gold, a piece I know that was gold, and I would scratch it on there. And then I would go to the vendor, and I would take the piece in question, and I would scratch it on the stone as well. And if the two colors matched, and, and if they were a similar consistency, I would say, okay, that's gold. But if they didn't match, it was inauthentic. It was fake. And I didn't need to buy it. Authentic, authenticity is what we're looking for when we talk about the the touchstones of welcome, transformation, and presence. They are the marks, the quintessential marks or standards by which we try to determine who we are, what we plan, and how we live in the world as individuals trying to follow Jesus and as a community of people seeking to follow Jesus. And this weekend we talk about transformation. And transformation, when we say that, we mean that we provide the resources and the relationships for the journey from curiosity to Christiformity. From curiosity about God, curiosity about Christ, curiosity about the faith, the Bible, what have you, to Christiformity. Having Christ's character and nature fully formed within us. And this, this terminology of formation comes directly from the Apostle Paul. And that is in Galatians uh, 4.19... Paul is speaking to the Galatian Christians and he says that the burden he carries for them feels to him, I don't know how he knows this, but feels to him like a woman in labor. And he says, my little children, I am going through labor pains again until Christ is formed in you, until Christ is conceived in you, gestates in you, develops in you, and you, and Christ is birthed into your life, birthed into your world, and you are able to flesh out Christ's nature, his justice, his mercy, his grace, his love, his compassion overflows out of you and into the world and thus also transforms the world. Transformation, what it means to become more and more like Jesus. In our passage, before we get to the part that you heard read a moment ago, Jesus has been out preaching and teaching in different towns and villages and when he's done, uh, John the Baptist, who's in prison, sends word and says, can you, with his disciples, says, can you tell us if you're the one or should we expect someone else? And Jesus answers and says, you know I am. You see what I'm doing. You see how I'm behaving in the world, the miracles I'm performing. I'm the one who wants to come and you are the one who prepared the way for me. And then, uh, verses after that, uh, Jesus then sort of uh, reflects a bit on John the Baptist and his ministry and Jesus, his own ministry. And he says this in verses 18 and 19. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And that word wisdom could, should, perhaps ought to be capitalized in English. 
Because in ancient Judaism, it was a name, it was a person, the lady wisdom. Wisdom is portrayed in Judaism as a woman, a person. We see this in the book of Proverbs, chapter 8. Do not, does not wisdom call out, does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest points along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city at the entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out, I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. Wisdom is a person. And in this context, Jesus is likening himself to wisdom. And he's saying that wisdom is proven right by her deeds, by her actions, by the way she lives in the world. In the same way, Jesus is saying, I am proved right by my actions in the world. The way I live, the things I do, prove to you the truth of my words. The same is true of John the Baptist. He is proven right by his actions in the world. The same can be true of us. For we who seek to know God and follow Jesus, as we are being transformed and becoming more and more like Jesus, in and through us, wisdom is proved right through our deeds, through our actions. Transformation matters. I realized last week, as uh, Pastor Jordan was preaching on the first touchstone of welcome, and he entitled his message, Be Like Jesus. And I was looking at the title slide, and I said, well, that actually will work all three weeks. Be Like Jesus. In welcome, we are to be like Jesus. In transformation, we are to be like Jesus. And in presence, we are to be like Jesus. So for instance, the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, 7 says this. So welcome each other in the same way that Christ also welcomed you for God's glory. We are to be like Jesus in welcoming one another and in welcoming others. And in presence, 1 John 4. God is love and those who remain in love remain in God and God remains in them. This is how love has been perfected or completed in us because we are exactly the same as God is in this world. God is present through us. We are to be present as Jesus was present with us. And then finally, transformation too. We are to be like Jesus, the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Follow my example just like I follow Christ's. Be like Jesus works every single time. But of course you can't just be like Jesus. It takes some intentionality. It takes some planning. You don't just wake up one morning and say, Today I shall be like Jesus. It takes some intentionality. We might say it this way. If we want to be like Jesus, we must become like Jesus. If we want to be like Jesus, we must become like Jesus. It implies a process. It implies... A choice and intentionality and a plan. And Jesus talks to us a bit about that in our passage today. Before we get there, though, Jesus has, uh, right after he said this little bit about John the Baptist and himself, Jesus then uh, derides and, and scorns the towns in which he has been performing his miracles and teaching who have rejected him. And then he moves to prayer. In verse 25, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. 
Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. God chooses to reveal these things to the people whom the world might think do not deserve it. Little children, not the wise, not the learned. And then Jesus continues to elaborate a bit on what he's just said, but now it's as if he stops praying and turns and talks to the people who are gathered around him. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus, the one through whom God has chosen to reveal himself to us, is the one who is most like God. Jesus is the one God uses to draw us to the Father. As Hebrews chapter 1 says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being. We need to pay attention to Jesus. In fact, if we want to get to the place of Christiformity in Christ, this is where we start. The starting place for our Christiformity is proximity to Jesus. The starting point, the starting place is proximity to Jesus. We have to be near Jesus if we want to move in the direction of becoming more like Jesus. And then Jesus begins to tell us a little more practically, though it's still in a metaphor form, so we have to do some work, what this looks like. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The good news that we're going to celebrate is just this. Jesus promises rest to all who answer his call. Jesus promises rest to all who answer his call. And in this metaphor that Jesus has given us, he's talked about the yoke. And there again, he is linking himself to the lady wisdom, to the concept of wisdom. We find it, as I said, in Proverbs. We also find it in a pre-New Testament book called Sirach. And Sirach is a part, if you've heard of it, of the Apocrypha, which just means hidden books. We Protestants sometimes go, ooh, the Apocrypha, it's evil. It's not evil. It's, uh, these, are, these are books that were written in between the Old and New Testaments. And the Protestant Reformation from the very beginning said this. Those books are not authoritative like the Word of God is authoritative, but they are fine for devotional use. So we can read them and we can learn from them. And you can bet that the people listening to Jesus were familiar with some of this. That's why he spoke this way. He borrowed this imagery from the Lady Wisdom because he wanted to teach something about how we live our lives in the world. So in Sirach, chapter 51, verse 26, speaking of wisdom, Sirach writes, Put your neck under her yoke and let your souls receive instruction. It is to be found close by. Wisdom, the secret to becoming more like Jesus, to living our lives as Jesus would live them if he were us, wisdom is to be found close by. And Jesus says, you have no idea how close by. I am wisdom. I am the one through whom the Father is revealed to you and by whom you can become more like me. Jesus speaks of rest here. I think one of the reasons he speaks of rest, let me, I don't want to get ahead of myself, when you look at this, you go, look, uh, on the one hand, Jesus says, uh, take my yoke upon you. Now, that sounds like work. 
Take the yoke upon you like an oxen and plow the ground. There's a field that there's work to be done. It takes effort to be like Jesus. On the other hand, he says, take my yoke upon you and you will find rest. It's, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Which is it? And in some way, it's both. It's both. There is both some effort we have to exert, but we know that we do it with Jesus. Talk about that more in a minute. One of the reasons I think Jesus does this and talks about rest in this context is because right after this, in chapter 12, he will have two conflicts with the Pharisees. He will say, I will give you rest in chapter 11. Chapter 12, 1 through 8, the Pharisees go after him because he and his disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath. They're, they're breaking the commandment to rest on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees. And then in verses 9 through 14, Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and they don't like that either. And Jesus says, you have no idea what rest really is. Rest is coming to me. Rest is living the way I teach you to live. One of the ways, uh, one of the best translations I've heard of this, it's a paraphrase technically, but Eugene Peterson in the message translation has several uh, spots in that, in that translation, just shine, and this is one of them. This is the way uh, Eugene Peterson uh, translates this section we're looking at. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's a beautiful phrase that captures practices. How we interact with these things. Then Jesus says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Somehow the yoke is both. Somehow the yoke is easy and, and light even though there is a burden that comes with it. And part of this traditionally understanding is because we share this yoke with Jesus. We don't do it alone. But it's also because Jesus is not a taskmaster, Right? He's not a drill sergeant. We don't have to worry about what happens if we blow it. We don't have to fear judgment. And so for us, the yoke is easy. The burden is light. And we will find rest for our souls. Commentator uh, Matthew Green, Michael Green says this. His yoke is gentle, but not in the sense that it is less demanding than Judaism. In some ways, it is more demanding. Just stop for a minute. Remember when we've talked about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus takes the law, which was hard enough, and he actually makes it more demanding. No longer is it not enough not to commit adultery. Now you can't even lust. No longer is it uh, not right uh, to, to, to murder. Now you can't even hate. He makes it more demanding. But it is the yoke of love, not of duty. It is the response of the liberated, not the duty of the obligated. And that makes all the difference. We are able to carry this yoke. We are able to walk with Jesus because we have been set free. And we don't have to worry about what happens to us if we blow it. We don't need to fear judgment. We don't need to fear what Jesus will do if we fail. The yoke, of course, is the yoke of the farm. The yoke carried by oxen and other farm animals to do heavy work. And yet somehow, when we do so with Jesus, it becomes easier. It becomes lighter. 
you find rest. The yoke is an image, a metaphor that we find in the Old Testament in different places. It's often used to speak of obedience to God, to the law, or to kings. So, for example, in 2 Chronicles 10.4, Jeroboam and Israel go to their new king, Rehoboam, and they say, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Yoke is hard work in the Old Testament. It suggests obedience to God or to the law or to a king. Jesus says, my yoke is different. It is not ill-fitting. It is not heavy. It is not burdensome. So what do we learn then about how we become more like Jesus? If in order to be like Jesus, we have to become like Jesus, how do, how do we do that? Jesus gives us some hints. Very basic, but they're good hints nonetheless. First, we have to come to Jesus. We cannot do this on our own. Proximity to Jesus is absolutely essential if we are going to become like Jesus. And I just want to add here that I think that while we should be all about thanking God for our heavenly reward and where we are going when we die, we should also be aware that there is a reward here and now. And that reward comes from living the life of wisdom, living as a follower of Jesus. It is its own reward, and it is there for us to enjoy. But in order to enter into it, we have to come to Jesus. And what that means is, if you've never done it, you have to come to Jesus in faith, come to Jesus in humility, and say to Jesus, I can't do this. I am a sinful person. I make a mess of everything. I need you, Jesus to help me do it. I need you to forgive me of my sins. And we confess our sins to God. And we ask Christ to forgive us. And we ask him to take us into his kingdom. And that is the starting point. But it begins with coming to Jesus. And there may be some people here this morning, some people joining us online, who have never done that, who have never said, I need you, Jesus. I can't do this on my own. I am not a very good person. One of the things that I discovered on my sabbatical was about, well, many of the things I discovered was about me. Many places where I thought, I do not like who I am in this or that. I'll share that with you as we move through the weeks. But you know what I never had to worry about? I never had to worry about judgment. Because I am forgiven. I am set free. And God loves me. And perhaps you've never come to Jesus, and I'll encourage you to do that. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. When we pray in a few moments, I invite you simply to pray and tell Jesus, I'm tired of doing this. I want to confess that I can't do it on my own, that, I'm, that I've sinned, and I ask for your forgiveness. Just start there. But then it moves on. Then we must entrust our here and now lives to Jesus. We must not just entrust our eternity to Jesus... If we want to become like Jesus, if we want to live lightly and freely, as the message put it, then we need to entrust our here and now lives to Jesus. That is, we make Jesus Lord of our lives. We seek to do what Jesus teaches us to do in every way. We try to follow him. Take his yoke upon us and we walk with him. Again, Eugene Peterson in Romans chapter 12 has a great translation of this that gives us a feeling of what it's like to turn our everyday lives over to Jesus. He says this, 
This is the Apostle Paul. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. We come to Jesus. We entrust our everyday, here and now, lives to Jesus, allowing Him to teach us how to walk and live as a follower of Jesus. And then we stop trying harder and start training smarter. We learn from Him. We stop trying harder and we start training smarter. It involves some effort on our part, friends. God is opposed to us earning his favor. Can't do that. But he is not opposed to effort. And that's why the Apostle Paul so many times says things like, make every effort to do thus and such. Jesus says it too at times. One of the best places Paul says this is here. His divine power has given us everything we need. For a godly life, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything we need has been given to us when we come to faith in Jesus. Everything we need in order to become like Jesus is already put inside of us. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Because we have come to Jesus because he has given us everything we need we can begin to walk in a new direction and be transformed for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love that takes effort he continues For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, apparently it's possible to know Jesus, to have all your sins forgiven. Eternity is not in doubt for you, and yet you can still be unproductive and ineffective in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you. I don't want to be unproductive. I want to be productive in my relationship with Christ. I want to be effective in the world. You do it by making efforts, walking with Jesus in that yoke, and moving forward as God has called us to move forward in Christ. It takes some effort. It takes some training. Over the last few weeks, many of us perhaps have watched the Olympics, and we know that those athletes did not get there and win those medals simply by trying harder. I'm sure they worked very hard, but they did it by training smarter, by training their bodies for the moment when they can be the best of the best. The Apostle Paul talks about it this way, 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. 
They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run, Paul says, like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The apostle Paul might not qualify for the prize. He's not talking about his salvation. He's talking about becoming the kind of person Jesus knows he can become and has given him the resources to become. We have to train ourselves. Also, within the last couple of weeks, when Simone Biles pulled out of the Olympics for a few days, we, many of us, most of us, learned a word we had never heard of before, the twisties. It's not a dance. Sounds like one, but it's not. I had to do some research on it. I find it fascinating, but apparently for gymnasts, it's a place, a time when their mind and their body are not cooperating with each other. They lose what we sometimes call muscle memory. Their muscles seem to forget what to do in a situation. And as one gymnast I read said, you can get lost in the air. And when you do that, you don't know which, is, don't know which way is up, which way is down. And you could severely injure yourself. In fact, one of the people commentating on it was a gymnast when she was in high school and became paralyzed because of this. It's very serious. And of course, muscle memory is a bit of a misnomer. Uh, there isn't really a little brain in here that tells your arm what to do or remembers or forgets things. That's not what we mean. What we mean is that your brain, your mind, work to try to understand and know and remember what your body and your muscles feel like because you've trained them to do that. You've trained them to do it, so it's almost second nature. I don't know if you noticed that when Simone Biles came back and did the balance beam routine, she changed her dismount not to involve any twists because she wasn't completely there yet. In order to make sure she didn't automatically twist because of muscle memory, she grabbed her knees as she went off uh, in the dismount to keep herself from twisting because it was so ingrained in her body. We have to train ourselves in the same way, friends. We have to engage in what we call soul training exercises here at ECC. Disciplines that help us to train ourselves. One person described it as driving, like driving a car. No one in their right mind would get into a car and just start driving. That could be bad. That could be very bad. I'm sure there are people in this room who have done that. I still say it was bad. <clears throat> no, you train to drive. You don't just read about driving, you do that, but you also train. You go through the motions. You go through a class or with an instructor or with a parent or a grandparent who's patient enough. <clears throat> and they teach you what to do. And after a while, once you're doing the motions over and over, you get into driving for a while. You get to my stage in driving. I don't have to think about it, hardly at all. Gas, push the gas, I push the brake, I hit the blinker, whatever. I put it, I change gears. I don't have to think about it. That's the goal, that we would become so trained in, in, in our spiritual muscle memory that we would become more and more like Jesus to the point that it's second nature. We don't have to think about it. <clears throat> so what might God be calling you to do? What spiritual exercise or practice might God be asking of you? Maybe you're already doing some. Maybe you already are doing something you don't know could be a spiritual practice. If you take a walk every morning... That can be a spiritual practice if you want to turn it into one. 
What are you going to do? I, we, and this has been brought up before a few weeks ago when Kate preached, and she did a fantastic job. <clears throat> the Bible app, uh, live event, if you click on the more section, go to events, you find our event there, and there's a link in there that takes you to two pages. One will take you to a soul training page, which will give you an idea of, of some exercises you could take on, and the other one will take you to uh, the soul training plan page, which is this, uh, this URL which gives you a template and some instructions on how you might add to or develop a couple of spiritual practices by which God can train you to become more and more like Jesus. I'll make it easy for you. If you aim your phone's camera at the QR code, it will take you to that. Thank you, Johari. But I want to say a word about that before we get too far down that. I know what life is like in certain stages of life. When you have young children at home, there are just only so many minutes in the day where you can engage in practices. And, <laughs> and, and when they return home later, also so many <laughs> minutes in the day, personal experience. Um, <clears throat> when you have to work two or three jobs. I don't know, there can be a lot of reasons why it's hard for you. Work nights, whatever. There can be reasons why it's difficult to do that I had three months to do it almost nobody gets that I know that I'm grateful so you don't try to do more than you can do you don't feel guilty because you can only add one thing to your life quoting from again Kate quoted her too it's one of my favorite quotes Jan Johnson one of our teachers in the apprentice experience written several books on spiritual formation Jan Johnson says this you have to be kind to yourself when it comes to developing spiritual disciplines Do as you can, not as you can't. Do as you can, not as you can't. Don't don't shoot the moon and try to come up with five things you're going to do this week. Pick one or two that you can do and start there. It's how, friends, we become more like Jesus. And there's no way to be like Jesus if we don't try to become like Jesus. Would you join with me as I close in prayer? God in heaven, I thank you for your goodness to us in sending us Jesus, not only to save us, not only to forgive us, not only to redeem us, all of that wonderful, wonderful gift to us, but also to train us, to lead us into a way of life, a way of wisdom that is its own reward, to enable us to become more like Jesus' Christiform people. And so I pray for us, God. I pray for all of us who are Within the sound of my voice, online or in person, God, I pray that you would enable us to take whatever steps we need to take to add just one or two things to our lives that would help us to more intentionally take up your yoke and follow you. And God, I pray you transform us. I pray you make us into Christ-like people in a Christ-like congregation like never before. And may you receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.